All right, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to do verses 1 to 17. So I'm going to pray. Uh, if you're grabbing a Bible from the rack in front of you, the Bibles that we have here, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 will be found on page 981, 981. I'm going to read the 17 verses, and then we're going to pray, and we'll get to work. It starts like this. It reads, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what one has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flame. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. Let's pray. Lord, we're asking right now that by your spirit, through your word, you would speak to us. And we're praying, Lord, as a local congregation, that you would help us to know who we are. Lord, we're praying that you would give us the right tools to be able to evaluate the church experience, and we're praying that you would bring us to a place of spiritual maturity so that we could see the local church as a place of your glory. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're doing a series uh, where we're trying to figure out, as a church, who are we? And, and what unique calling do we have for the state line area? And uh, as we progress through this, we will get into very particular things, the practices that we embrace and the strategies that we have. And we'll look at the details of the things that we do as, as a church to try to, to fulfill the calling that God has given us. But on the front end of this series, I'm working hard to, to frame it out, to give us some categories for thinking through the purpose of the church like we did last week. We recognize that we, we exist to glorify God. And then we exist to be a blessing to the world. We want to tell people the good news of what God has done in the sending of his son. And we exist to help other 
Christians mature in their experience of living out the way of Christ. Today, what I'm doing is I'm taking you to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 so that you could be introduced to a few, a few more categories to think through how to understand and evaluate the church. And it's significant because here's kind of where, where I'm coming from. I think if we're unwilling to, to look at this before we start talking about the, the particulars, a lot of times we can get off track very quickly. So this passage helps us to understand three different things about the church. Three words for you. Here they are. Immaturity, accountability, and glory. Immaturity, accountability, and glory. If we want to understand and evaluate the local church, we need these categories in place. So let's get to work. First off, we need to be aware of this thing called spiritual immaturity, and we find this in verses 1 to 9. Paul is saying to a church, the reason why you are experiencing uh, misgivings about your local church and a misunderstanding of what it is and what it should be doing, he says, it is on account of your spiritual immaturity. It says, you do not like your church and you do not understand what your church is for you, and here's why. It is because you are immature. This week I was thinking through this and I was like, is there any situation in which you call someone immature and it's a good thing? And I was like, I, don't, I can't think of a single one. I can't think of a single situation where you would say to somebody, you're being immature, you are immature, and that be something that's a commendation. It's, a, it's always negative. And so when Paul is doing this, it's, honestly, it's very offensive, and it will be offensive to some of us. He's saying to us, the reason why you don't like church is because you're spiritually immature. Now, the Corinthian church, there's more to it for them as well. They actually, if you read the letters, First and Second Corinthians, and you read uh, the book of Acts where the, the church has started, you'll come to find that the Corinthians are a people who are urbanites. They live in a metropolis area, and they're sophisticated and cultured. They're presumably well-educated. They love philosophical discussions, and they love people who, when they communicate, they communicate like... They like TED Talks that are well-polished and produced. And they love all of that stuff. And Paul is having to address this, and he's having to kind of combat that with the simplicity of the gospel to say, those things that you cherish aren't really that important in the gospel economy. So when he says, you're spiritually immature, we need to recognize how incredibly offensive that would be to them. Sophisticated, cultured, urbanites who are well-educated and love all these big concepts. And he says, the reason why you actually don't like church is because you're immature. That stings. Look at verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. By the way, in terms of the timeline, it's not that they just became Christians. They've been Christians for a while now, so time isn't the issue here. It's the lack of growth that they are experiencing. I, I, I wanted to address you as people living by the Spirit, but I could not because you're worldly, mere infants in Christ. Look at verse 2. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready for it. So he's looking at these people and he's saying, I'd love to teach you things that, are, that have more substance to them. I'd love to move on from this, but I keep having to revisit the basics of the faith because you're like a child that, that is getting its nourishment from milk. And if, if you give an infant a steak, it's not a good idea. And he's saying, I wish, I, could, I wish we could move on, but you are spiritual infants. Therefore, I have to keep 
revisiting these things over and over again. Um, as a pastor, I, I get where he's coming from. I wish it were as simple as covering the topic. I wish all, all I had to do was stand up here and go, okay, well, we need to talk about this, and I do that once, and I preach a sermon, and then we're all good on that. We just move on from that topic. But that's not at all how spiritual growth works. A lot of times there are things that have to be revisited over and over and over again because our spiritual growth is slow. And we don't always, we don't often even, bring these things on board and live them out. We don't hear a sermon and go, okay, I'm going to go live this thing out. But it, it's God's, he takes that by his spirit and he works it into us over the long haul. So Paul is writing to this church and he's saying, I wish that we could move on from this, but, but we're stuck here because you are still not ready to move on from these things. And he says, here's why I know that you're spiritually immature. It's because of the way that you're relating to each other. Look at verse 3. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? He's saying, I can tell that you're not led by the Spirit in this regard because your interaction with the church is full of conflict. You, you have jealousy and you have quarreling. Now, where is this coming from? It's coming from the fact that those individuals in the Corinthian church are evaluating church based on their preferences. They want things the way that they want things, and, and now they're dividing over that. So you've got these different factions, these different groupings, and you see it in verse 4. It's actually they're dividing over the, the spiritual leaders. Look at verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? You're evaluating church just like you would evaluate how well they did at Chili's when they're giving you lunch. You're evaluating it like a, like a consumer, and you're dividing over these things. And he says, that is the human way to look at a church experience. So they're dividing over these different leaders. And in fact, if you just glance back to chapter 1, you see it in more detail there in verse 12. What happened within the Corinthian church is Paul comes in as the missionary church planter, and he preaches the gospel, and people come to saving faith. So now he's got believers in front of him. He organizes them together in a local church. He gives some provisional instructions for how to do this, but then he pieces out because his calling is to be a missionary church planter. So after he establishes something and gets it going, even, even just very basically, once he gets that going, he's, he's, he wants to move along. And sometimes this can be as short as three weekends, like the Thessalonica church, the church of the Thessalonians. He does this in a small amount of time, then somebody comes in after him. In this case, Apollos. And another teacher comes in. So the church is dividing over who they like. Some of them are going, man, I really dig Paul. He is my spiritual leader. And some of them are like, I don't like Paul. He's just too simple. You know, he's not sophisticated enough for us. You know, the way he preaches is kind of boring. Um, but I like Apollos. And, and there's a new group then. Some are saying, I'm with Paul. Some are saying, I'm with Apollos. And then there's another group that's like, man, I went on YouTube, and I found this dude named Peter Cephas, and he's gritty. Like, he just says it how it is, and he doesn't filter anything, and he'll just shock us, but it's, it's convicting. And I don't know if you're aware of him. He's one of the original gang, and, and I just love his teaching style. Some are saying, I follow Cephas. So you've got a third group now, and then you've got even a fourth group. And the fourth group, they're the super spiritual ones. They're like, I don't follow any teacher. 
I follow the Lord. And so Paul is writing and he's saying, you guys are divided over this stuff and you're having a hard time with your church. And the reason why? Spiritual immaturity. You are, you are determining whether or not you like church based on your preferences. And that's not the starting point. That's not what God wants for us. If you're led by the Spirit, you're going to find some new things about the church experience. So we need to be careful about the way in which we think about our church, about Park City Church, and any other church also, because there's a tendency in us to use spiritual immaturity as the category for whether or not we like church. And that's not what God wants for us. And when we do that, by the way, what we're, what we're saying is we do not appreciate what God has given to us. We're, we're actually neglecting the grace that God has for us where we are. We look somewhere else and we look online and we go, man, if CORE could just do that, if Park City could just do that, then I'd be happy. And what you're, what you're doing then is you're overlooking what God actually has for you in your local congregation. Well, one reason for the spiritual immaturity is the fact that it shows up in the conflict. And you guys can attest to that if you want something the way you want it and you're not getting it. It creates jealousy and quarreling. It creates strife within the church. And Paul says that's evidence right there. If there's strife, that's the evidence of spiritual maturity. But another category that he gives to evaluate maturity is whether or not you understand the role of leaders. And this comes to us in verses 6 to 9. Uh, what he says about leaders is they each have a gifting and an assignment from God, and that is given by God. So you need to be willing to embrace the God-given assignment of your leaders. Look at verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Interesting, right? He doesn't say who here. He says what, because he's really demeaning the, the individual to elevate the reality here. He says, what, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. He's saying the spiritual leaders are people who are lowly, who are there because God has placed them there for your sake. They are servants, and they have been given their assignment, and that assignment has been given by God. And then he uses a metaphor here. He says, I planted, I preached the gospel, the seed was planted, and Apollos watered. So if you want the categories we used last week, Paul is big on evangelism because it's a part of his spiritual gift mix. He loves evangelism. Apollos, apparently, he does the watering, so he would be more along the lines of discipleship. He would be helping people to grow. And so I told you last week, we do this. We gravitate to our spiritual gifts. We gravitate to the things that we, we can identify that we like because we embrace those things. So he says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered, we each had our assignment. We were fulfilling that assignment. But listen, we are just the instrument. God is the cause. Look at verse 6. God has been making it grow. Don't fall in love with the instrument. Fall in love with the outcome. What, what we want to see happen is the work of God unfold in this world, in the local church. And what Paul is drawing attention to is spiritual leaders are just servants for that sake toward that end. It is God who is behind it making things happen. Verse 7, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So when we're thinking about why, why do you come to Park City? The answer should not be, I really like core. 
I like this dude. I like the dude who's up there, and I like, I like whatever. What we need to say is, he's nothing. But it is God that is doing the profound work in the midst of our church. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So spiritual leaders are given a task, an assignment. And the way in which God evaluates a, a church and its leaders is based off of whether or not they're doing what God has called them to do. And he doesn't say to every leader, you do everything. He says, I've given you this unique gift mix and this unique calling, so fulfill that. And it's dangerous, in fact, I would say this from personal experience, it's dangerous to look at other spiritual leaders and go, I want to do what they're doing. I want to be them. I want our church to be like their church. We need to be willing to recognize that God places people in the assignments that he has for them to do the one task that he has given to them. He says, we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. So here's the, we're drawing out some lessons then. We need to think clearly about this. One of the reasons why we have a hard time with church, and honestly, church can be lacking in a lot of different ways, but we need to be aware of our own, what, what we bring to it. And here's one of the things we should be aware of. A lot of times the problem that we have with our church is that we are spiritually immature. And we are unwilling to see things from the vantage point of God. We want things the way that we want it, and we're willing to quarrel over it. And God is saying there's a better way. And the better way is to embrace the unique assignment that God has gifted to the leader and to the church itself. Here's another lesson for us to consider, and I've been thinking about it all week. I actually believe that this is one of the favored strategies of our enemy. We have an enemy. He hates our Lord. He hates the church, and he is very strategic in the way that he wants to cause us to be ineffective as the people of God. And I would suggest that this is one of his favored strategies. He likes to take Christians and lean into their spiritual immaturity so that they evaluate their church based off of these worldly categories of preference. And I think he's very effective at it. I think he wants us to look at church and, and do this. And so he's, he's encouraging this all the time. Is the church meeting your needs? Is the church doing what you want it to do? Is, are the leaders like the leaders that you want? And I think he really does lean into this one. But as a, as a pastor, there's, a, there's an ambition here, and it is to overcome this spiritual immaturity. Paul puts it like this in Colossians. He says, this is his ministry and the, the payload is there at the end. He's trying to bring people to maturity. So Paul puts it like this, Jesus Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. If that's the ambition and pastoral ministry to create a people who are fully mature in Christ, that includes helping you to view the local church in a way that is God-honoring. So the question then is, are you becoming mature in your evaluation of the church? Are you becoming mature in terms of recognizing the graces that God has given to this particular congregation and to you? Well, secondly, we have this idea of accountability in verses 10 to 15. Accountability in verses 10 to 15. Here's, here's the thing that he's going to draw on here in this section. Spiritual leaders are people 
who are accountable to God. And that is a weighty thing. Spiritual leaders are those who have been given the assignment and therefore are both responsible and accountable to God. And that is a terrifying thing, by the way. In fact, the Bible would say so in a lot of different places, but I'll give you a couple. The Apostle Paul himself says it like this. When he's looking at the local church and the weight and magnitude of leading a a congregation, he says, who is sufficient to do this? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer he has is no one. No one is sufficient to do this. James puts it like this in his letter. He says, not many of you should presume to become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And what, what James is saying and what the Apostle Paul would say is those who are in a position of spiritual leadership have a weighty responsibility because they are accountable to God. Let's look at it here in our passage. He uses another metaphor. He switches from the field to the building. The field being the planting and watering and the growth that God brings. Now he switches over to a building. Look at verse 9. You are God's field, comma, God's building. Verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. So now he's looking at this congregation and he's saying, I had a a calling, and it was a grace that God had given to me to be the architect of this thing. I laid the foundation of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. People believed in that. That's the foundation there. And I began this construction project as this wise builder, or another translation would be the architect of it. But then he says, everyone, anyone who's working on this now has an obligation to God. They're accountable because this is God's project. So anyone who works on it needs to be aware that they will be held responsible. Each one then should build with care. There there needs to be this thoughtfulness, this intentionality, because this is God's project. So the building project, by the way, we've been doing construction around here, so the the, uh, illustrations are all over the place. But as you go into a project, you want to make sure there's a plan, there's There's a wise builder behind it and an architect who can talk through what are we trying to do here and how does everything that we do contribute to that final product because you don't just want people randomly being like, well, I'm going to nail, I'm going to tack this thing on here and it has no relevance to the overall project. You want this to be done in a way that is intentional and strategic and the things that you're putting into it need to also be done with care because it is the building of God, and it is, it is built on this foundation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. At the bottom of this whole thing and erected upon it is the reality of Jesus Christ and what he's done. That's the starting block. That's the, that's the foundation. Then he says, now when people are working on this, they have some options. And not all options are the same. Verses 12 and 13. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. See, spiritual leaders have an obligation to build up this building, which is the congregation of God's people, and they, they make choices. What are we going to use to build? And if, 
you're familiar with this passage. It's really dealing with the teaching ministry of the church and the way in which we organize. And it's saying there are some things that are costly and there are some things that you can get the job done, but you're not investing much in it. And at the end of the day, there's a judgment coming and everyone's work will be revealed. So you have the option of using gold, silver, and costly stones, precious things to God that are enduring, that are good, that are beautiful. And in the words of John Stott, this is the healthy teaching ministry of the church. And then you have another option, which is to kind of piecemeal it together and go, well, what do we have around here? Behind this curtain, there's a big pile of scrap lumber. Let's just find something. We'll tack it together and we'll figure it out later. And, and what it's saying is, in, in terms of the church, leaders should be very, very careful in the way in which they build, only using the things that are most precious to God, because at the end of the day, they will be held accountable for this work. It will be revealed with fire. You will begin to see it. You will, you will see it for what it truly is. Um, at the beginning of the service, the doors were open and the light was coming in. Ken Rue's in the back seat, and he's uh, you know one of the main builders around here. And the light's coming in, and he's looking at what the light is revealing above the clouds. And I can see the gears in his brain going, oh, we got to paint that. Uh, we got to hide that because it's being revealed. There's work that's been done in here, mainly by, by me, that he's going, oh, that needs to be fixed, right? So the, the fire will reveal the quality of each person's work. And um, th- this, is such a, this is such a big deal. When, we've, when we finished the main renovation of this property, we had a final inspection. Um, and the team comes in, and they're looking at all the things that we've done, and we're, we're praying, Lord, please give us favor with them. And then what we want is the sticker that says, well done. You did this the right way. You have occupancy. You can now use this appropriately. That experience is something that needs to be in the mind of spiritual leaders and the congregations over which they lead. There's a day coming where we're going to stand before the examination of God himself. And what we want is for God to look at the work that's been performed and to say, well done. We don't want it to, to be something that he looks at and he goes, this is, not going, this is not going to work. This does not last. The fire reveals this thing. Look at verses 14 and 15. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If, however, it is burned up, the builder will suffer a loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. And this is just reminding us that we're talking about working on the church. We're not talking about salvation, because salvation is in Christ alone. So you can be saved and work for a church and be a crummy worker, but you're going to make it out by the skin of your teeth, or you're going to make it out as one coming out of the flames, and you will, what you've done will be revealed there. But it's not a matter of salvation. You will be saved even though as one escaping through the flames, but your work will be exposed for what it truly is. So, so we're being reminded here of the importance of this accountability structure that leaders need to use care and diligence in the way in which they think about the building up of the body of Christ. So some lessons for us, some lessons for us are, are simply these. When we think about Park City Church and where we're going together and how we decide on these sorts of things, recognize the, the weight of these decisions. This is not small potatoes. This isn't like, yeah, whatever. We'll just, we'll figure it out as we go. There should be wisdom and care in everything that we choose to do. 
And a part of what we recognize here from our text is that God has given leaders for this purpose. That our elder team is a part of how we move forward in this thing, recognizing that they have that responsibility and that accountability. And then recognize that as the primary preacher here, that there's an incredible weight given uh, to the accountability that I have for this thing as well. So, what should you do? Pray. Pray like crazy for me, for the elder team, and for the future of our church. Pray that God would give us wisdom and care in every decision that we make for the sake of this church. Pray that we would do a good job of building this thing up exactly the way that God has designed for it to be. Unique to us with the assignment that he's given for our particular congregation and with our particular gifting. Pray that God would help us to do that. And in the words of the writer to the Hebrews, he puts it like this, verse uh, 17 of Hebrews 13, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Well, finally, the third thing that we see here, the next category is glory, verses 16 and 17. We need this to properly understand the church and to properly evaluate it. Here's here's what Paul is saying in verses 16 and 17. The church is a storehouse of God's glory. When we talk about the church, we need to recognize that we, we are communicating about a sacred thing. Look at verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? The people of God are the temple of God. He puts his name on us. He puts his spirit among us, dwelling in our midst. And so when we think about the local church, even the church in Corinth that is divided and immature and has all kinds of issues that it takes multiple letters to try to sort out, even though there's a reality about the Corinthian church that's a hot mess, he still looks at it and he goes, nonetheless, you are God's temple. This is a storehouse of glory. This is, a, this is God's passion project. You yourselves are God's temple. Then listen to verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Let's back our way into the scary part. First off, the church is sacred. The local church is a sacred thing. God's temple is sacred. When we talk about the church, we're, we need to recognize we're, we're in a different category. We're not talking about something that's just a providing religious goods and services, and we just think through, is it doing it for me? Is this thing doing it for me? Are they, do they have what I want? No, we're talking about something that is sacred. Every local church has this about it. God's temple is sacred, and it is the people of God together that constitutes the church. You together are that temple. Together, though, it's not that, you know, we, we think about, well, you know, me and my small group, we're the church. Church is the non-technical term in the New Testament. It's assembly. Church is the word assembly. It's a people that come together. So it's saying, you together are this thing as a, as a congregation, as a community that has decided, I'm gonna, on a snow day, I'm going to show up on a freezing day below, you know, below zero temperatures. I'm going to show up because I want to be with this people. And this people then is a sacred reality. 
So when we talk about it, we need to be careful. But notice the warning here. Anyone who destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. I don't like that verse. I don't like what it's saying. I don't like what it, what it means for us. Well, how did we get here? Because I thought we were just talking about the builder. I thought the builder was the one in trouble. And now all of a sudden we're talking about destroy, like somebody destroying the temple. Where did that come from? And I think it comes from the context. People destroy God's temple when they operate in relation to it based off of their immaturity. People destroy God's temple when they allow for that jealousy and that quarreling to become a feature amongst the congregation. People destroy God's temple when they misunderstand the role of spiritual leadership and the accountability that those leaders have. People destroy God's, God's temple when they do not understand or properly evaluate the local church. And he says, God will destroy that person. One of the questions that I've asked in, in different settings and it's not a fun one, but it's an important one. I'll say to leaders and others, I'll say to them, what would it take for you to leave Park City Church and to burn the place down on your way out? And I'm not talking literally. That'd be crazy. But I'm talking about what would, it, what, what would be the circumstances that would lead you to say, I, I disfellowship myself from Park City Church, and on the way out, I'm going to speak ill about it. What, what would those circumstances be? And I've asked our leaders to do this before. It was a fascinating exercise. And here's the most consistent answer. The most consistent answer, when we are being honest, is if I don't get my way. If I don't get my way, then I can imagine if I'm not careful with my own spiritual immaturity, if I'm not careful about these things, I could choose to leave Park City Church and I could do harm on the way out. And here we're reminded the stakes are very, very high. The local church is God's temple. It is the place where he has set his name. It is the place where his spirit is amongst us. It is his. And so we need to be careful about even how we talk about the local church. But God then has given us some categories to evaluate and understand our church. So let's pray and we'll worship our Lord and Savior, who is the foundation of this thing. Lord, we're asking for wisdom. We're asking that you would bring us to a place of spiritual maturity. And we're acknowledging, Lord, the, uh, the ability for us to start on the wrong foot, to just start out looking at this thing, not the way that you want us to, but, but looking at it from a worldly perspective, to evaluate our church just like we would evaluate any other business in town. Help us, Lord, to see beyond the casual and the ordinary and help us to see into the reality of glory, that this thing is a sacred thing that you are building. We pray, Lord, that you would make it clear what our particular assignment is, and we pray, Lord, for your blessing and your favor on the leaders of our church, for the elder team and for the ministry team leaders. We're praying, God, that you would give them wisdom and care so that every decision is done in a way that, that builds this thing up in spiritual health. Lord, we pray knowing that there's a day of accounting and we want to be found doing exactly what you want us to be doing when you return. So help us to do that, please, we pray in your name. Amen.